completely backlit by the light show in the Hilton ballroom and turned his shirt pink. He held his hand out to me, crooked grin on his otherwise perfectly symmetrical face. I knew the answer right away, it was obvious. In the Jesus story, we're toward the end. It's Holy Week, actually. It's Tuesday of Holy Week. On the first day of the week, Jesus and his followers had arrived in Jerusalem, and there'd been that spontaneous parade, you know, Jesus on a donkey, and everyone calling his name, and paving the way with branches. On the second day of the week, he caused a scene in the temple, flipping tables. He spent that night in the suburbs with friends, and now it's Tuesday. He's back in the city, having cursed a fig tree on his way in, apparently angry, and now he's back in the temple, where the leaders for three generations, they've been living under Roman occupation. And they've learned a few things about how to do it well. How to avoid attracting the wrong kind of attention from the empire, yes, sure. How to safeguard a few freedoms, a little privilege for themselves. They were devout. They took it seriously, but also, you know, religious observance could be useful for keeping everyone on the same page, facing in the same direction, keep folks from not leaving well enough alone. Things weren't perfect, for sure. But the leaders had figured it out. And now here's this country boy coming, making trouble in their city, in the holy center of their city. It wasn't just the palms thing, either. This had been brewing. And now here it was, coming to a head. So Tuesday morning, they were waiting for him. When Jesus got to the temple, the chief priests and elders came up to him and wanted to know who exactly he thought he was. This is how they said it. This is a few verses before our reading. They asked, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? To which Jesus responded, and honestly, this is so Jesus, it must have been very irritating. To which Jesus responded, I'll also ask you one question. If you can answer it, I'll tell you where my authority comes from. A few months earlier, I had been waiting on an answer. Not from him, but from his best friend, Brian. I had asked Brian, one of a trio of power nerds, to be my date to the Valentine's dance. It wasn't a date date, all right? We were friends, we had circles that overlapped, you know, theater, classes. But we were not in the same group, definitely not the same group. It was like reasonable for me to ask him to the Valentine's dance, like a turnabout or some gender binary thing, but I still was going out on a limb. And by that point in my life, I did already have the puppet. Um, the year before, for reasons that we can't go into in this sermon, a friend had given me a little plush dragon puppet that was sold under the name Tub Buddy. It was marketed as the washcloth that thinks it's a toy. Just hang with me. And the puppet had become a fixture in my family, in part because of the claims that the packaging made for Tub Buddy's top 25 relational skills. Again, it's a washcloth that thinks it's a toy. It's a puppet, but it has some skills. Like, he could get your kid to look up so they wouldn't get soap in their eyes while you rinse their hair. But also, apparently, according to the package, Tub Buddy could help have hard conversations. So Tuppany also often came to meals at my family, and he acted as a mediator, so often, in fact, that my mother at dinner one night, sick of Tuppany, punched the puppet, and my dad said, Ruth, 
was, and I guess the kind of person I am. So when I asked Brian to do Valentine's dance, it wasn't a sure thing. And in fact, he made me wait on his answer. At the, at the time, it didn't feel rude, just strange. Like, can I tell you in a few days he wanted to know? Sure, he could. And when he finally said yes, it was Tub Buddy who shared the news with my family. Tub Buddy has something to tell you, I announced, and the puppet told them that Brian and I would be going to the Valentine's dance together. Midway through the Valentine's dance, he asked me to dance, not Brian. Brian's best friend with his J. Crew good looks on top of his smarts, and what's more, just a genuinely nice guy. My own best friend said after we danced, Dan Cook? Dan Cook? Like, can we even hang out anymore? Who are you? When Dan asked me to dance at the Valentine's dance, I, of course, said yes. But I also was still already myself. So while we were dancing, I said, why is this happening, Dan? He created that ridiculous crooked grin. Grin, what? He said, we're dancing. I know, I said, why are we dancing? He laughed a little and kind of ducked his head in that like effortless hot boy way. All right, he said. Brian wanted to dance with Lisa Ferguson and he asked if I could help him out. Oh, oh. Brian had kept me waiting to find out what Lisa's plans were. Lisa, who was regular hot, like Dan. They were in the same group. She already had a date. Well, thanks for taking me off his hands, I said to Dan. And we laughed and danced. And that was the end of it. Aside from my best friend's commentary. What Jesus had to say there in the temple, nose to nose with the priests and leaders, was a question about John the Baptist. And listen, I know already by this point in the sermon, I know that the high school dance story does not map particularly well onto a story about Jesus during Holy Week. Nor do I think it's going to come together tightly in that satisfying way that sometimes the Holy Spirit makes possible. But here we are. It's Tuesday morning in the temple, circa the year 31-32 A.C.E. And Jesus brings up John the Baptist, his relative, a latter-day prophet who'd been imprisoned and killed and still had quite a following, some of whom were standing in earshot. So Jesus asks the priests and the elders, did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? And the priests and elders kind of huddle up and they take one of those Shakespearean asides where it's totally unbelievable that other people can't hear what they're saying. They argue with each other. If we say the baptism was from heaven, then he'll say, why do you believe in him? If we say it was of human origin, the crowd is going to lose it. So they straighten up and they turn back to Jesus and they say, we don't know. And Jesus says, then I won't answer you either about where my authority comes from. That is all backstory. We are finally up to the moment in the story that the bulletin claims I'm preaching on. The moment in the story that matters. So here's the thing, I had thick enough skin. I had thick enough skin to tell that Valentine's Dance story right away and laugh about it. 
I had enough confidence to not blame myself for not being Lisa Ferguson. I had thick enough skin months later to attend the prom with a group of friends and no date except for that same puppet for whom I sewed a tuxedo. We, the friends, went on a great picnic. Before the prom, we spent the afternoon climbing around uh, a waterfall, having a picnic. After I sewed the tux, which I did the afternoon of the prom, I got dressed in a hurry and put on my little hippie dress, and I didn't think twice about wearing that dress, although in retrospect, it was deeply wrong. I let my hair air dry while I put on the only makeup that I wore, a little lipstick, and then I went to the Hilton. The prom was great. A puppet is a really good date. I told everyone that night, recycling the same punchline, I've been me for a long time. I would say about the puppet, you never have to check in and be like, oh, I'm just gonna go over there for a minute. It was great, you just like leave him on the table, he was fine. Only a few people who took the tradition of the prom extremely seriously were upset by my disrespect for the institution. And maybe it was one of those people who left Tuppity to soak in a drink at our table. But I had thick enough skin to fetch him under a glass of soda, wring him out, and lay him flat to dry. That's also a bad story. Okay, so finally, Jesus said, as you already heard, Jesus said to the priests and elders, what do you think? And he tells a story about two children. The Greek is gender neutral, but they're working with their dad in the year circa 31, 32, probably sons. Probably people would have assumed they were sons. Okay, so it's a story about two kids. Are they adults? Are they children? Are they teenagers? Two kids who are asked to help out in the family business. The first says no and goes anyway. The second says yes, sir, and bounces without even stopping by the vineyard. And Jesus asks which kid did what their dad wanted. And the answer is obvious. They don't need to huddle up. They don't need to have any side conversations. The first one, the one who put in the work. Ah. So actions speak louder than words. Ah. So what matters to God is what you do in the end. Ah. So duplicitous Brian is outside of God's will and handsome Dan Crooked. Those are all silly answers. The takeaway, Jesus tells them, the righteous, the upstanding, the observant ones, the careful ones, what Jesus tells them is that the tax collectors and prostitutes will enter God's kingdom ahead of them. Tax collectors and prostitutes, it's just a hand-fisted catch-all for people that the religious leaders knew, they knew weren't doing what God wanted. Jesus tells them that it's because they, the priests and elders, didn't change their minds. John the Baptist came in the way of righteousness. Other people saw it and believed that the leaders, even after they saw it, they didn't change their minds. You see how the stories are going to work together. Like I should have come up with a story from my life when I changed my mind. Or when I didn't change my mind, but someone else did, and that came to good effect. Like, what happened that I got to dance with Dan Cookshire? It was a do-over, but like, to what end? A group of us were dancing at the prom, Tub Buddy on the table. I wish I could remember what song. We were fast dancing, for sure. And on the crowded floor, I felt somebody brush up against me. 
And then he turned around, but then I felt it again. Somebody tapping on my shoulder, and my best friend pointed behind me and said, um, Dan Cook. <laughs> and I turned around, and there he was, backlit by flashing lights, shirt pink, that beautiful crooked smile. Are you going to dance with me, or what? Do over. The end. It's cute. Silly. I don't think Dan changed in that story. I think Dan was a nice guy to begin with, even an honest guy. Maybe he's nice and honest at the end. I think we can all agree that I'm in the weeds here in this sermon. <clears throat> By this point, I should really start drawing these threads together. And I really see now that the Dan story, it was really the wrong one. Because I think what the Jesus story is about is identity, like who Jesus is, and authority, why he gets to do the things he does and by what power, and about the ability to change. And the dance story is like about who I was and how I've always been that way, and to a lesser degree how Dan Cook is always also who he's been, and probably is the same now, somewhere being casually hot and now also accomplished. There's no change. And the do-over in my story, it's not like a big U-turn, it's no great, I have a second chance at a dance, and not even a slow dance, like a fast dance. Kind of a rotten do-over. But here we are, at minute whatever in the sermon. Here's the thing, here's my attempt to draw the threads together. Those old guys waiting to waylay Jesus in the temple, they had a story that they had been telling about themselves for a long time. It's a story about who was righteous and who was a sinner, a story about who was doing what God wants and who wasn't, a story about who they were, how they were observant and careful and devout, how they were holding things together, and how the way things were, while not perfect, was better than anything they could imagine coming along and upsetting the equilibrium. So you know what, y'all? Let's not. A story about what they'd known for generations and how it was just better to leave well enough alone. A story based in reality, in their experiences, and in fact, in their whole pasts. But then here's Jesus saying, yours doesn't have to be the end of the story. Here's Jesus flipping things upside down, upheaval all over the place, saying that the past doesn't have to determine the future. Here's Jesus, not just in this story, but all over the place, inviting them and also tax collectors and also sex workers and also sick people and also untouchable people and also grieving people and also rich people and also desperate people into a new thing. An open future that's not determined only by what's been. And here are the priests and the elders standing huddled together in the temple clinging to what's been. Because some preacher wrote that I read this week, they have too much at stake in the past. It's made them who they are. And it comes with limitations. But, but that identity is the one they know, and they're going to hang on to it. And here's Jesus saying, the stories you've been telling about yourselves for all of those years, the ways you've understood yourself, what you've always done, who you've always been, that doesn't have to be the end of your story. My do-over was not at the prom. Okay, most people, big life do-overs are not at the prom. Thank God, we live on a grander scale. 
My joy every morning is Jesus' invitation into a future that's not only determined by what's been. My do-over is, is a possibility, and this is where it's way more than just a silly high school story. It's the possibility that I'm no longer the, the dorky weirdo, or if you want, the, the creative, bold outsider, or whatever. More than that, it's the possibility that there aren't insiders and outsiders. More than that, it's the possibility of not, not needing to have a thick skin anymore. I don't want thick skin anymore. So what if I, what if, what if you, what if those men circled up there in the temple could change right now and go the other way? Then, Jesus said, those of us who've changed our minds, who've seen the possibilities of all people living without shame and believe, well then we'd be right up front with all the prostitutes and tax collectors. That's just a ham 